2: Welcome to
1: Books Boys, live from the Grand Library, the Dean and EJ.
2: he's PJ. hello
1: there i'm the dean and we are the books boys the one and only this is the books boys show get it buy it
2: books books still a mystery to me i've been looking in my in my bathroom cupboard looking for books but is that the right place to find herodotus and the like dean I, I, I think it is. Find him. okay. I think if you there. open it like a scroll, you'll find some
1: some round paper. You open it up, and there might be some markings on there, and that okay, might yeah. be Herodotus. Okay. On, I on think
2: invisible ink. Okay, fair enough. It's it's, it's hard to say. The it's technology eludes it's, me. It's, it's it's very hard. It's paper, yeah, you know? paper. I mean, I was looking for I was looking for that play the other day. You know that O'Neill play in the forest. But I, I forgot mm-hmm. which which tree was on, and, and then I lost. You know the the branches and and the words and. Very it's, mold- it's tricky. But then I got confused. I thought it was a Beckett play, you know, because it was very absurdist. And I thought that was the point of the, of the play, like getting, getting lost between the branches, the words between the leaves, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's tricky because they tell us
1: that the books, they come on paper, they come from trees. We go out to the, the paper store, we
2: look at what? the toilet paper, we go to the forest, we don't see the books. And they say, like, it comes from the minds of, of, of people, including dead people. I think it's very macabre. So what am I? What, how do I imagine that it just spills out of the brain, kind of onto the leaves? What's what's going on? It's it's getting very dark, in.
1: It's 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 a it's a confusing topic, man. It's a confusing topic. I, do you know where I was today? I was in the Maclay Library at Queens oh, University, yeah. which oh you'll remember from our our oh. uh, our old days. Uh, I love library. I didn't realize before that if I just I was looking at all these books that have you know history and philosophy. If I would just go up one more story, they've got actual novels—English novels, English novels yeah. French novels, Spanish novels. I never knew that before. Didn't know that. In the decade
2: that I've been going there, no. Yeah, a good selection. I, I I love all the books there. Never have noticed, them.
1: but some of the stuff, man. I got into this aisle, and it was an entire aisle of early English texts. So we're <laughs> talking like very very early. You can you can read it. It's old English. Like yeah, you know, yeah. it doesn't make sense. And the titles <laughs> will just be like you know description of a nunnery in 10 volumes like i can't i can't cope
2: with that you know <laughs> description of a nun- imagine reading that in, in your free time you know imagine, <laughs> imagine being busy and then squeezing in time to read for 10 volumes and then ben, doing i feel time.
1: i feel bad and maybe i'm hard on myself there's you know because i do read the history and we'll get to that in a minute but mm. some of the stuff i just can't do it man like i'm loving my greek history and then it'll be you know people like strabo or prosenius who wrote
2: geographies
1: so like, i can't read a two or three volume set just describing the landscape like i
2: just i can't do that man some that's people, really really dull some people call it that art you know yeah Walt whitman would have the thing to say about that i, I guess
1: you know and then plutarch's
2: moralia well that's 16 volumes like, i don't have the time <laughs> for that you know <laughs> You get the impression that all these people they had an abundance of time, you know. Just, I just think they had a
1: lot of time, yeah, <laughs> to write sixteen volumes. And in fact, it's fifteen volumes, and then the sixteenth volume is just the index. The index gets a whole volume. <laughs> it's
2: ridiculous. Imagine, imagine buying, imagine saving money for a few months, buying those volumes, and, and then you, and then you miss out on volume sixteen. You know, just you just <laughs> you just wanted that index. That's the main book. That's, I, where it, really, that's where it gets funky.
1: I really want to, to, I want to want to read it, you know, but it's just sometimes it's too much, and I've got a limited time for, you know, and it's too much. And you've got a high tolerance, you know. I just, I you do. Got, you got a very In high fact, tolerance. I'll go straight into that because the first thing I read this month <laughs> was Herodotus. Now, I actually read <laughs> three books because. This was a multi-volume set. It was actually a four-volume set, but I just I gave up after three. There's, there's only so much I can do here. A three-volume set of Herodotus' histories. Now, if you don't know, some people call Herodotus the father of history. Um, those people are wrong. That is Thucydides. Um, well Herodotus essentially, you know, he was the first great historian. Um, But I'm going to give a few quotes, which will give you an example as to why I don't think he's a real historian. And this is not something radical I'm saying. I think a lot of people do agree with me in in the academic world. Um, He mixes in a bit too much legend, a bit too much fable, Mm. a bit too much mythology for it to be real history. Whereas Thucydides, who was the next great historian, um, is is, is pure scientific Mm. history, short-term causes, long-term causes, effects, you know, what we would call history today. Herodotus is like, well... This is like an episode of
2: Game of Thrones at times, you know, and it's just a little bit. Probably more entertaining, though, is it? That's yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more like liter- <laughs> It's more literary, kind of, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like halfway between Thucydides and Homer, you know, like it's it's got that. Right, okay, okay. It, is, it is entertaining, you know, but I'm going to give you an example. So one of the first stories we see in it. Mm-hmm. Now, it happened that this chap, Candaules Kanda- was in love with his own wife which apparently was it was unusual. That's a, and, unusual. Yeah. That's, that's a strange
2: thing to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he
1: says to, to his, his friend, you know, basically, my, my, my wife's incredibly attractive, so you should probably try to see her naked. Um, <laughs> so he contrives this scenario where his friend is like sneaking into his room and hiding behind some like, you know, clothes screens, trying to see the wife naked. And the wife realizes. So then she says to the chap afterwards, um, Gygus, she says, look, afterwards. I know what you did. I know that it wasn't your fault. So here's what we're going to do. Either we're going to kill you, or you kill my husband, the king, and you take his throne. And then that's what happens. Right. So solution. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's Game of Thrones stuff here, you know?
2: It's payback, you know? I mean, you don't, you don't do that, guys. Just anyone listening in and, and having that exact idea at this moment was your pal, you don't do that, you know? I mean, no, you fall in love with your wife, stick with your wife. Don't like tell your neighbor to have a peek in, you know? Don't do that. So there's my moral comment. That, that's my moral comment. I could write, be writing the notes for these books. Modern notes by PJ. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be something I would buy. Yeah. <laughs> then we have another example where uh, Croesus says, you know, he gets some um, vision or dream that his son's going to die in a fight. So he never lets his son go to the fight. And they eventually tell him, you have to let him go to the fight. So they let him go. And he sends this chap and he says, I want you to be his guardian. So the guardian immediately shoots an arrow which goes stray and kills the son arrow to the head. He's like, Oh no, I was gonna protect him and I shot him in the head, you know? <laughs>
2: so he kills the son.
1: Like just all this weird stuff is He's happening. He's not gonna get know? a
2: job anytime soon again in that position. No. Might have and then
1: change.
2: we get a we get a scene
1: where just all, all this crazy stuff.
2: So for example,
1: <laughs> um but but mixed in with real history. The stuff about like okay. Hurgis giving the laws to the Spartans and all this kind of stuff that is probably real, maybe a bit skewed, a bit mythical, but still there's some basis for it, you know. So it's, it's weird. And then we have massive segues for hundreds of pages where we move away from Greece and talk about ancient Egypt. And, the, you know, and then it gets really boring and it's just talking about like burial customs and all this kind of stuff. And then we get a lot of geography and a lot of stuff about the food that the people would eat in, in Scythia and Egypt and Persia. It's just a bit, it's a bit all over the place. It's not, it's not well-constructed Herodotus. That's my criticism <laughs> uh, for Herodotus. Take notes. Um, but one of my favorite stories is, and again, you'll see why it's more like Homer than, than Thucydides. Mm. They they have a nice scene where they, they say to this chap, I think he, the, the chap annoys him <laughs> or, or whatever. So he says, don't worry, look, it's all fine. Um, <laughs> we'll have a banquet. And then he goes and kills the chap's son cuts him up and feeds him to his dad you know
2: like this is out of homer this is not history you know what's well, out, george or martin you know you know just you're not <laughs> you know you're not that original this stuff already existed right
1: yeah and then after eat, being forced to eat his own son he then says well i guess this guy is not going to hold a grudge i'll put him in command of my armies <laughs> it's ridiculous <laughs> you know it doesn't make any sense
2: like the way you're selling it, sounds like a very amusing, if if not absurdist, kind of book. But yeah, it doesn't sound it, like
1: it was funny. Yeah, there's a bit where they want to say Persians are better than everybody else, so we're going to take a Persian kid and another kid, put them in a room, and whichever one develops speech the quickest, it, you know, and then the Persians the best because well, of course it's you know, perfect. it's it's just weird stuff happening. <laughs> it's just a random mixed match of of stuff going from Greece to Persia to to Scythia, all over the place you know, people killing their sisters and um, marrying their sisters and all this it's stuff. Just, like, it's just the yeah.
2: usual Coronation Street material.
1: Yeah, the, the know usual Coronation Street material.
2: <laughs> that's where, um, that's where it, they got the other stuff from.
1: But then it's mixed with, like, real history. That's the, the strangest thing about it, you know? But, look, I'm, I'm not going to dwell on it because although I spent two weeks reading three volumes, you know, those are the highlights. The, the rest is quite... It, it's, there's parts that are really funny, And there's parts that are boring, but I I think that that people don't really want to hear too much about Herodotus, sadly. So I'm going to leave it there. I mean, do you you have any thoughts on on that? (laughs) I took copious notes, man. I've got so many notes on this. And then I thought, (laughs) no one wants this, like, you know?
2: (laughs) Just just too much. I'm just imagining. Uh, This could be, actually, this could be another uh, episode of... um... Uh, of uh i was gonna say of the um god i can't even think straight this could be <laughs> now this has to be a separate a separate uh, kind of program this you know you could just talk about this just by yourself a monthly episode <laughs> just talking about your comments on Herodotus uh, and all these lads you know and all the other chefs yes. <laughs>
1: Here's another interesting one. This chap this Persian chap cuts his own nose and ears off. Well, you know, one spurting, blood, spurting blood everywhere so I, that he can he go would. to the, the, the Babylonians and say, Look what they did to me. I'm not on their side anymore. Come in and then like open all the gates and let the soldiers in, you know? Like did it to himself, just you know, self sacrifice. It's just
2: normal just, it's just normal stuff. You know?
1: Normal everyday history. <laughs> this is this why I don't respect Herodotus as much as this today
2: Okay. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> it's just normal customs, you know, this is what you do every day, you know?
1: Normal stuff.
2: Normal stuff. Normal stuff.
1: I, this is how you know. This is how I spend my Saturday nights. You know, that's just yeah, that, that's cutting you. off my own ears and, and various <laughs> things. You know,
2: marrying sisters, kings, sisters, then the sign to marry again. Yeah, it's just it's just all <laughs> over the place. Yeah.
1: Here's here's one of my favorite pieces. And um, they're talking about, um, I think this is about the Egyptians. And they say when when he dies, um, what they then need to do is so in the open space around the body of the king, they kill and bury one of his concubines, first killing her by strangling. And they also kill. They also kill and bury his cupbearer, his cook, his groom, his oh, lackey, his messenger, of some of his horses. This ridiculous. Yeah, I heard of yeah, that actually, some, yeah, yeah. Because there's some there's some truth in it. You know, it is history, but it's just a bit. It's a bit wild. Some of the stuff. You know,
2: that's crazy. Yeah. But really, that the, the okay. My comment is the interesting thing is, and the, my comment is that when you this this. Oh, everything's been written already all this crazy stuff when people think well that, that's really radical and violent what was already written you know x years ago so i mean yeah yeah so it's interesting to find that Right. Like when we we're talking about Lao, Lao Tzu for example as well you know 2500 philosophy i think is still relevant so a lot of it has been done already it has yeah it does it make me want to most... read i'll tell you this it does make me want to read bits of it though you kind of have sold it to me. I kind of sold it to me in the sense of I read what you what was funny, and then just leave the rest.
1: I think I, if you I, could just read the highlights, you know, it's well
2: you can edit it. You can do a small selection of the most amusing texts, and um... man,
1: I'll I'll get right to it when I'm when I'm not um, podcasting and making music and painting and doing Orwell classes and history yes. classes and All other right. classes, Orwell, I'll get
2: right to it. Orwell in Ireland classes, very specific, very niche. And you were, <laughs> I just I just comment this to the to everyone out there. You were in a concert recently in Madrid, where while waiting for the concert to start, you were attending an online Greek history course. I
1: was. I was in the <laughs> arena with, a, with my headset plugged in on my phone, attending virtually a, a, a Plutarch's uh, Greek Lives class. <laughs> oh,
0: no, what, because
1: what, I, man, my schedule had too many clashes. And I'd gone all the way to Madrid for this
2: concert as well, which is ridiculous. Uh, 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 and you're probably reading her at the same time weren't you like you know trying I to had split him with me yeah you had him with you, you know, at the concert
1: <laughs> no no i didn't bring it to the concert but i had it with me in madrid do you know a quick a quick anecdote something that was quite funny because i did a tour in madrid and the guy was telling me all these things and you know it's always good to get local tour guides who have a bit of a bit of um, quirkier knowledge some of the stuff he told me to do you know he was like oh you see in there you can go there tomorrow and they'll let you in now there will be a policeman there and he will say you can't go in Um, But if you just persuade him he will let you in and you can see the inside of this lovely house and i'm like okay i mean i might not do that like i might not go and argue (laughs) with a policeman tomorrow you know and then he said "And this church they've got some nuns in it and they make these lovely biscuits um but you will have to go not to the front door but if you sneak around to this little back door and you go in and you walk through this dark corridor with no one in it and you'll eventually come to the end and you'll not see the nuns but if you knock on a thing and put some money down someone might put biscuits and i'm like what i that, that's but amazing, that,
2: but like that, I'm not that doing actually, that. That's actually true. The second one, I know, I know but I'm
1: just—I'm not going to do that on my, by myself. You know.
2: The, the, now cracking... the second—the second one I've heard of, and the first one just sounds like he was kind of trying to get you to break in to a random house, and well, maybe see, the police that's will the fear. be okay about
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the fear, and I'm just thinking: look, both of these might be perfectly legit, but like I'm not going to do this. <laughs> I'm only in the country for two days. I'm not going to get a fight with policemen and nuns. You know, and nuns. <laughs>
2: sounds like a pg woodhouse novel oh god
1: um i'm gonna get to my next my next novel man i read um i finished up my orwell cycle so i I finished my orwell class today by the way but i finished my orwell cycle of reading and it was his least popular novel a clergyman's daughter right um so everyone told me look leave that one for the end it's garbage okay (laughs) this book is garbage do you know what it's my
2: favorite orwell well, he said the same thing about Northanger Abbey, and I think that's uh, everyone's least favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the same I'm as old.
1: Northanger Abbey. The worst one is the best one. Because if you're looking for Orwell, you're not going to find him in this book, okay? Right. You're not going to find the, the character who's alone in the world and thinks what's going on in this dystopia. You're not going to get that. But if you're looking for Orwell pretending to be Dickens, then you're going to get a lot of that in A Clergyman's Daughter. Um, right. we talked last time about Orwell it, was a fan of Dickens and yeah. this is essentially just him pr- pretending to be Dickens now, I should say that it's not amazingly well written it's split up into five sections and there's just mm-hmm. a time jump as you go from one section to another and there's not really good explanations for what's going on you kind of have to piece things together a little bit um, but I'll give you a quick flavour of it so there's this there's this girl Dorothy she is the clergyman's daughter And her dad is kind of a bad clergyman. He doesn't care about his congregation. He doesn't care that his church is falling apart. He's very miserly. He won't give her money to pay the bills. And, you know, she's asking for money. And he's saying, you've had all your allowance that you're getting this month. Very Dickensian, yeah. Yeah, but it's not her allowance. It's to pay the butcher. It's to pay for their food. Like, you know, and they're just not paying the the tradesman. And he's, he's outraged, you know, and he's like, are you not getting anything more from me? Um, And there's a little bit of weird religious stuff where there's sort of, they seem to be something in between Protestant and Catholic. And I didn't really understand exactly what their faith was, but it's not really important, to be honest. Uh, Suffice to say, they don't like any of the other churches (laughs) and they just (laughs) kind of do their own thing. Um, And Dorothy goes around like very religious, praying all the time, pricking herself if she has uh, impure thoughts. And, you know, there's a bit of sort of puritanical type um, things as well um and they don't you know they're not allowed to worship nature they're not allowed to worship basically anything he doesn't like um he's not even really that fond of praying it's very strange you know but that's 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 fine that's by the by that that all happens in the first part and there's this there's this one chap and he basically decides he's a womanizer and he's got all these, like, illegitimate kids, and he goes around and, and meeting girls in all these different places. And he besides, he likes Dorothy, like this pure chaste clergyman's daughter who's never been with any man. And okay. he just continually tries to force himself on her, and she's, like, pushing him away and hitting him away. It's a little bit difficult to read in parts when, when we get to that. Okay, um, He's called Mr. Mister Warburton, um, and he's, like, sneaking around and saying, oh, you've got such lovely arms, and, you know, how, how are you not married with such lovely arms and all this kind of stuff.
2: Okay. And there's an old, there's an old <laughs> gossip. Wouldn't like to have him in a party.
1: No, no. And there's an old gossip, and they're worried that she'll see them together. Then we move on to, to part two, and we wake up in a dream, and Dorothy's wandering around, senseless, not oh, like not knowing, not knowing who she is or where she is, and it's oh, like, what that. happened? This is a weird time jump. What's going on? And then she meets these pure Dickensian chaps, and oh. they're they're like homeless chaps, and they're going to work on some fields. And they're saying things like, that's the Molligatani and all these little cockney type things. And Dorothy joins in with them and they're saying, I've just got to stop and put the nail back into my shoe. That's the Molligatani and all this kind of stuff. And it's quite, it's quite funny. (laughs) And they're talking about their half crowns and everything. And and... it's it's a good one, man. They go and they do some, they do some work in the fields. And there's a long sections of them just working in the fields with these poor people and they're sleeping in hay. Um, but they sing songs, and they sing songs like "Twas Christmas Day in the Workhouse," and very depressing, very depressing songs like that. And then they see a newspaper about the the rector's daughter and how she went off, and they think she's gone off with this Mister Warburton in a passionate scandal because he's okay. left the town at the same time. But she doesn't remember who she is at the start. She she re- remembers later. Hmm. Um, but she's seeing these pictures of the rector's daughter, and she doesn't know that it's it's her. And then we have another weird jump where the, the well that the the chap that she's with gets arrested. We have another weird jump and now she's homeless hmm. and she goes to her uncle, some rich uncle, and he gets her a job in a school. So now she's in a school and it's very Dickensian school. Hmm. Like it's taken out of um I can't remember which Dickens it is. It's a Nicholas Nickleby maybe. One of the one of the Dickenses that has like the traditional little school. Okay. And um this is the teacher and she's always saying things like, you know, we don't care about about educating the kids' minds. We just care about the profit. So We make them copy out these pointless exercises to show to their parents so the parents are happy and this girl's trying to teach them things she's like these kids are all brain-dead idiots because no one's ever taught them anything and she teaches them geography and makes maps with them and she teaches them you know history and she brings in books and she goes to she brings in Shakespeare and the parents come in and complain and they say what's this dirty text What's this Shakespeare? Someone told me this is high literature, but but there's <laughs> filth in it, and I will not
2: have my child
1: learning this this Shakespeare
2: filth. Well, when Julia, it's very it's very influential. You know? it's, <laughs> teens read that, they get so get
1: has... And they starve this poor girl, even though she's a teacher. Like they barely let her eat any food in the house. Everyone's starving and poor. You know, it's it's very Dickensian. And in the end, she gets a big telling off. Don't, for, tell don't tell me. Don't tell me that, no, no, well, I'm mean, in the end of this this section. Okay. Uh, she gets a big telling off for what happened in the school. And, you know, at one point she's staying in a brothel that she kind of doesn't realize is a brothel because she's so innocent. Um, <laughs> and then it gets weird because there's just a big section, which is like, do you know the way sometimes in a book, a character will walk past a few people and they'll give you a few snippets of their conversation. Hmm. And you might get a few lines that's a snippets of conversation. Now imagine that those few lines last for 30 pages, Mm. Okay. so there's just like an entire section of the book there's just fragments of, of like 10 different people's conversation and it's all over the place and oh. it doesn't make any sense and it just goes on and on and on it's very very strange
2: it, it, it's obviously very influenced by yeah, Ulysses because that's what happened in Ulysses in the whole book it's just fragments of, of conversations and mm. like when I read it there was literally 100 pages there was one point in the middle where there's 100 pages I couldn't understand and very fragmentary. <laughs> and especially that, that uh, dream scene is like the night town, night town scene in USC. Mm. So it's like near the end, it it's kind of becomes very mad and it's very dream esque. People get arrested, all kinds of stuff happening. And they're also in a brothel. So it just okay. it, it, it sounds like he's kind of that. pastiching some Maybe modern yeah. authors he likes and, and Dickens. It sounds like a very kind of, this sounds like he's just experimenting truly. I think he was, world. yeah. And whereas the other ones was yeah. like, this is my kind of thing, but now I just want to make something completely different. Yeah.
1: But the strangest thing is this, this, you know, it's a 30-page segment of fragmented dialogue, and then it just moves on from that. Like, it just doesn't fit the rest of the book, really. Oh. And, you know, it's all these different characters, and they're all homeless. They're sleeping in the streets, and there's like 20 of them piled on top of each other for warmth. And the policeman keeps coming along and saying, stop making that noise, or I'll send you to your homes. It's like, well, they don't have any homes. It's why they're in the street. You can't tell them off for being in the street and say... So is, is it like, being
2: very, um, you know, it's basically... A parody kind of a it is a yeah,
1: little a bit, farce, yeah. Farce kind of and I, it's it's farcical. It's just when the policeman is just like, you know, if you keep on, if you're gonna keep on being unsightly out like, here, I shall have to force you to return to your homes.
2: <laughs> I love to read it, that sounds
1: great. <laughs> it's sounds a really a- good one. And then, you know, there's all these Dickens type characters as well. One of the women's like, oh, I don't want to go see my husband because you know, one black eye in a week's enough for me, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it's yeah, all the all the all the usual, um, Sorry. but. I'm not going to give away the ending. like We, gen- we generally never do. Um, but basically, it's quite sad because there's two possibilities for the ending. And, that, and neither of them, I don't think, are, are happy. Um, one route is that she essentially um, goes back to her dad and just continues with her boring life that she didn't really like, now that she's lost her religious belief anyway. And the second option is that she goes with the, the sex predator, Mr. Warburton, and marries him. Like, those are the two options that are presented.
2: Well, as usual, and she kind of Orwellian, has to yeah, like, kind
1: of pick, anything. like, which one is the least awful, you know? <laughs> so that's A Clergyman's Daughter, but it's, it's a really, really fun one to read, even though it's a bit erratic and the, the different sections yeah. seem to not relate to each other. The characters are good. It's essentially Orwell thinking what if I was Dickens instead of Orwell? And then he wrote that.
2: You know? oh, I like that, actually. I like that idea. I'd love to read it. It's a nice one. And why don't you tell us about what you've read, PJ? So, I've read... Um, well, yes. I've been keeping it minimal, indeed, uh, this month. But here is a slim novel, kind of a novella. Uh, it's called The Heron and the Violet Flower. And in Spanish is La Garza y la Violeta by Rafael Rosa so, kind of like it sounds like it's saying Raphael Rice sand with a slight different spelling. And uh, he is a Canarian novelist. So, ah. for those of you who don't know, I was born in the Canaries and raised here uh, and, and in Ireland. And he was born in the island next to mine. I'm in Ten- Gran Canaria. He was born in Tenerife in, in 1923. And he's basically kind of a modern um, respected author, so particularly around the I think fifties or so onwards, and this is one of his uh, later novels, quite short, the um, the violet, uh, sorry, the heron and the violet. It tells a story. It's very short, but it's quite it's quite a bit of an epic feeling. It reminds me of some Latin American novels like Hundred Years of Solitude. In some sense, even mm. though it's not generational, it's only just it's a perspective of one boy. But basically it's about this it's about this boy living in um, basically what's Tenerife uh with the Tatum Mountains, so it's the biggest volcano in in Spain. But it's told very almost kind of especially at the beginning, it's told almost mythical. It's not it's not so clear actually that it's this island. And only later do you find out it's the Canary Islands, but it starts off with this montaña de cristal, it's like a crystal mountain and that if anyone who goes there will never come back and his mother died near the top and is buried in in snow and that violets grow on the snow, that's the violet reference so he just imagined his his mother died there and he just imagines her corpse kind of frozen but beautifully intact with violets growing on top when it's not snowing Mm -hmm but it's basically um, him and imp- like kind of like he's it's not actually clear how old he is but it's implied that he's a he's a teenager but sometimes it's a perspective of a little boy and it's it's very vague in like in a it's very vague in which time setting what the age is who the people are it's very vague in that sense it's almost fairy tale-esque and i love that kind of storytelling and it's about him and living with his father and grandmother in a kind of a run-down place at the, at the base of the of the mountain. And they're kind of, they're very sad. They used to have a, a banana plantation and there used to be glorious days of, of bananas, like having adventures in the banana plantation. And now he's stuck with his grandmother and dad and the dad is just looking into the, the glass of wine and not talking. And it's all very sad to be honest. And then we find out that he, ha- he has a friend. And and this friend is, is a girl. And we, you know, her name is Maggie. But we think that Maggie is his his love interest for a while. Okay. Right, that's what you expect. And yeah, he's, he's quite obsessed with Maggie. And he mentions Maggie and, and the mother, la señora Milton. So Mrs. Milton. So they're an English family. And they've kind of, go back and forth between Gran Canaria uh, and uh, sorry it's in and and Britain. And we think that he's obsessed with Maggie and that he just wants to meet her and he's his aunt his aunt is taking care of the house while they're gone and he goes to visit her, the aunt and, and actually wants to see the family. But we soon find out that it's not actually it's not actually Maggie he's interested in it's Mrs. Milton. Ooh So if it it comes a bit of a twist, can't say much more than that and where it leads, but a bit of a, you know, a bit of a Mrs. Robinson twist going on there in the Canary Islands and, and not just that, but all of a sudden uh, it was a bit random, I found I was a bit slightly disappointed about this because I, I like, I like vague sort of things and became very specific that he particularly wants to be a tennis champion. And it seemed a bit random to be honest because I thought it was starting off very mythical, sort of like this. Mm, That's a bit unusual, (laughs) yeah. Yes, and because for me, it brought it into a specific time frame because all of a sudden, the the woman she's modern, all of a sudden, it seemed clear that it must be the 70s around that time because like tennis started to become popular. British people and Kenny and he's not interested anymore in that kind of his uncle is a fisherman, his dad used to be a plantation, he wants to be the best tennis player in the world and guess what mrs milton did win the award for best female tennis player i think and he kind of wants to wants to beat that he kind of wants to be the champion himself he wants to own that house because here's a second twist i'm not going to say more the house where mrs milton lives that whole area used to be owned by the boys family spooky so that's where he used to live and where the banana plantation used to live, it uh, used to be, but now it's owned by Mrs. Milton, who is he, who is he's obsessed with. Okay. And the idea is that, okay, he's obsessed with her, and is it love? Well, I can't say. But at the same time, she kind of took away his home. She didn't really, but that's the way he kind of sees it, that, mm. that the land she's on now used to be his, and <clears throat> he feels like he kind of owns it, but yet there's also feelings for, for the family. And the book is all about that that conflict. To be honest, that the Canary Islands have that tourism and and a lot of foreign people coming there. And to be honest, half the population here is 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 not Spanish. Yeah, and it's a bit of a conflict between like that loss of identity because it's it used to be agriculture and fishing, and now it's all about tourism. And it's a bit about that as well. That you know, a Canary. Uh, PJ, what, what about the prime canarian business the donald burger the the what the donald, the donald burger, burger. Well, remember we used the, the donald
1: duck uh, burger uh joints
2: oh yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. oh i know which one yeah the pepito <laughs> 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 exactly yeah so that's basically the twist isn't it the end of the story <laughs> so look all i can say about this book is read rafael uh rosarena uh, if you want to get into some prime canarian literature If I had written it, I would have focused more on the first part about uh, about the about the mom and like the mountains. It seemed more mythical. I enjoyed that kind of story, Um, and and it became more realistic later on. Hmm. So mixed feelings about the book, but generally, uh, I would still recommend it. But anyway, and there's a connection between yeah. There's obviously there's a lot of Freudian things going on. Uh, The mom reminds him. (laughs) He obviously he sees a seminar, uh, you know, the kind of similarity between Mrs. Milton and his mother, who he barely remembers anyway. But the aunt keeps saying him, Oh, they look so similar, don't they? They look so similar. So it's this kind of there's a bit of a Freudian kind of kind of twist going on there, obviously. But I enjoy the mythical kind of mountain background and that always kind of hanging over him. I always enjoy that kind of stuff in, in a book. So yeah, give it a read. Um that's that's uh, that's one of the things i read and dean i really that's, want to that's hear awesome. and you've read two books which we're going to talk about now, which I'm really excited about, because those gonna are... We're going to get
1: to those in, in a little moment. Um, but, those are exciting. But I have a little segue, so I, th- I thought that you also
2: read some comics. Do you want to briefly just mention those? I, I do indeed, yes. I know your opinion of comics, Ian. I, 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 I'm I amused at, at your kind of, I can hear the neutrality, forced neutrality in, in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> I told you off mid-month, mid I told you off for watching <laughs> Spider-Man. Remember? Exactly, you did, so that's what I did. <laughs> well, guys, I, I do want to tell you, because that's my part of the show, that I've been uh, setting old Spidey aside and having go at uh, Daredevil. Have you ever read Daredevil, Dean, or watched any of the films? Um, I, I did. I, I did actually see one of the one of the films. Yeah, really okay. And I can see from your, <laughs> I'm not very <laughs> uh, very big on it. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, look, guys. All I can say is, give it a read. I started reading the, uh, I think I'm on, on comic number seven, the, the original, the first hmm. volume ever of uh, Daredevil, which is really actually fantastic. I love it, especially the first comic. So the, the, it, it loses its way. It's slightly bit. It becomes a bit silly at times. But the first comic is really- no. about, Oh, dude, yeah, that, that's it. The a comics
1: become, the, the cartoon <laughs> fellows in the comics become silly. <laughs> Well, I, I would never guess
2: that. Oh, well, that's that's a twisty. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> and, and he wears a yellow costume. Actually, he wears a I yellow costume. He was red. Yeah, no, he wears a yellow costume. To like <laughs> volume seven eight was is a bit distracting. But to be <laughs> honest, like I still think it's a great <laughs> concept. It's a great concept. Okay. A blind person. So it's basically he's blind and using all his other senses to mm-hmm. combat crime. Come on, you gotta love that. And he pretends um, to be like a gullible kind of lawyer in, in his free time. I love that. I think yeah, it's great. It, it it's certainly written content. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, so this is this is me. That's that's my recommendation. Give it a read, guys. Cool. The
1: re- the reason I wanted you to mention it now is because um, I didn't read a comic, but
2: I read an Orwell essay <laughs> hey, about Tony. a comic. And what did you say about the comics?
1: But he was reading, so I, I didn't know that there were such a thing as good comics. But apparently there are. He huh? was reading uh, these English comics, The Magnet and the Jam, and he said they were out of fashion even then. And it's about all really? these people in these old, like, Eton type schools, and a lot of little posh boys and um, doing pranks on their teacher, and it's Billy Bunter and all these, oh, these no, chaps going ar- going around. And it sounds brilliant, you know. It sounds, it sounds. I thought, oh, it's a lot of posh little English kids. This is this is amazing, you know. <laughs> And he said, all oh, these American comics with their violence. Oh, we don't, we don't need those in, in Britain. We've got, you know, Billy Bunter and, and so forth. <laughs> and um, the glamour of public school life, you know, and he says these schools are all <laughs> founded in the 16th century, you know. And there's a funny bit where he says, like, these comics have been going on the gem and the magnet for 30 years. And the Jam was written by Frank Mitchell and the magnet by someone else. And he says, obviously, multi-, you know, this is a, a, a pen name. And a lot of different people have written over the years. And then he, he's a little asterisk, Grace, but I've just received correspondence from Frank Mitchell to tell me that, no, he did actually write all of those for 30 years. And <laughs> the guy who wrote the gem, that's also him with his fake name. So he wrote both of them for 30 years. Oh, really? Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: yes. That's bad.
1: So it's quite right. funny that he put that little addendum like, no, sorry, I've just been <laughs> told off for that. So
2: hold a second. So this is the guy who created Billy Bonter. Hmm. Okay, okay. I love Billy Bones. Have you ever read any of it? Uh, I've them? actually
1: never read any. So, also you know them good. Um, yeah, are they yeah. are they
2: good? What I like. What I like them. Well, they're not. They're. I didn't think they're comics. They're just comic con novels. But anyway, uh, Billy Bones is. I loved it as a kid. I like. I have to have a try again. once it's like? It's it's ridiculous stuff. Uh, it's it's PG Woodhouse. It's PG Woodhouseian I would say, uh, but slightly more grotesque because Billy Bones is. It's it's all about like it's. It's almost praising gluttony, you know. It's almost praising the fact that he just eats too much, and it, it's quite, abs- it's very absurd. But he mm. gets into situations and into all kinds of ridiculous kind of situations. He can't help being amused. But I would say it's pretty politically incorrect nowadays. That, that's the right. only thing. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. I think they, I think you know, some people in, in the in the health industry might have a thing to say about being. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, they sounded more appealing to me than the
1: American comics that have taken over. And I very very quickly read another essay about postcard artwork. And really? uh, I only I only bring it up briefly because it gives us an idea, a little insight into the typical life that Orwell talks about um in his books. They stand for the worm's eye view of life, for the music hall world where marriage is a dirty joke or a comic disaster, where the rent is always behind, the clothes are always up to spite, the lawyer is always a crook. The Scotsman is always a miser. The newlyweds make fools of themselves on hideous beds in seaside lodging houses. And the drunken red-nosed husbands roll home at four in the morning to meet the linen nightgown wives who wait behind the door with a poker in their hand. That's the tip. That that describes perfectly the world in like coming up for air and keep the Aspergistra flying Uh, in most of these, most of these Orwell novels. So I just thought uh, it was a, a nice little aside. Um, but look, I did read two more books and I discovered that they're two of your favourite books and we're going to get to those in just a second but first, Ooh. I'm going to play a quick it's only a minute and a half, it was sent in by a fan it's Erland oh. from the podcast Well That Aged Well
0: My book, the recommendation is Baleen Diaries by William Shirer. it's a nonfiction book but and it's not really a classic in the sense of being classic like you just do I'm sorry about that, but it's one of the reasons I want to recommend this book is because William Schreiber first-hand experienced what it was like to be in Nazi Germany, and uh, he was a bit of oppression, and he writes about this in his diary, and he, you get to see what it's like to live in, under the Nazi regime from an American correspondent. And he's one of the pioneers of corresponding as well. So his his story is super fascinating, and I don't see why Hollywood hasn't made this a movie yet, because it really should be. Every page is a page-turner, and you get his own regards of the view of the Nazi regime while the Nazis were at the height of its power. I don't have anything but recommendation for this book. So that's my recommendation. My Instagram is well. And my podcast is well that h well.
1: There we go. Thank you, Erland. Um from Well, that Aged well history podcast with his recommendation for us. Hmm. Um and we did a crossover with him before. I did an episode about the
2: Odyssey if you yeah, remember indeed. a while back.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: And I've heard He's of this good. book. And yeah, it's supposed to be really good. The Rise and oh, you know the what? Third Reich. Yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, uh, so it is supposed to be kind of a quintessential uh, book about the history of Nazi Germany and the fact that an American journalist wrote it, I always think it makes it better because it just seems a more mm. slightly objective perspective. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to read it. You know, I may, I want to read that more than from a, from a German yeah. historian. It's slightly less emotional, I feel. And and this so, guy lived also in, in Europe, so he kind of knows, he really does know his stuff as far as I know. I haven't read it though yet. Thanks for so, that so, recommendation. So
1: uh, thank you. And while, Just while we're paused, I should say, um, guys, if you want more of us, because people are saying to me, PJ, we're getting these messages, and the people are saying, I really wish we had things like you know Shakespeare reviews. I got the Christie reviews. <laughs> uh, people talking about ancient Greek court speeches. Very specific request: ancient I, Greek court
2: speeches. Ten-year-old re- interviews Yeah, they been the requested to do a, a review of the show. What's the show again? Uh, with uh, Richard Iotti?
1: Yes, we had people asking for for Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. So, go.
2: guys, it's all on the it's all on the Patreon.
1: patreon.com Slash Not Boys. No travel man. So we've gone with the first episode's out, but we're about to record the fifth. There's only going to be six. There's a limited series of six episodes. I conscripted my friend Robert to do it with me. And it's called Dark Place Dreamers. And we review the ridiculous 2004 show, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, which is um, a bunch of guys pretending that they made a show in the 80s, which was a hospital drama horror show where they opened the gates of hell. And there's like a monster of the week type thing. And they've all got shotguns, but they're in a hospital. It's very weird. and There's a lot of cool 80s synth music and it's terribly made. And you can see the strings on the things and the camera cuts. And you've got Matt Berry and Richard Ayoadey and cameos from people like Noel Fielding and Julian Barrett. And it's the best show I've ever seen in my entire life. I think it was made just for me, but it's also ridiculous. And I think anybody else who watched it would think it was awful. So <laughs> we, we reviewed the first episode. Well, the first episode is already out. Um, we've also got 10-year-old interviews from The Vault with Su- Susan Lee Pickings' episode just came out. A lovely little yeah. uh, singer-songwriter. And we talked about her album, Wander in the Wonder. And then we also had a couple more episodes of the Greek court speeches. That's forensic friends. And PJ, I think if if we have time, we will do a Playboy's uh, soon. Mm-hmm. So there's there's plenty of stuff on the on the Patreon. And um, so hopefully everyone wants to to check that out. And yeah, if it to. was any cheaper, we'd be paying
2: you. You know. So. Yeah. So go ahead, guys, and give it a try.
1: That's it, PJ. The next two books I've read, I feel very strange, by the way, because I normally keep my pile of books with
2: me. Little Alfred normally guides them for me. Well, that's that's well. Don't worry, Dean, because I've got your books right here in front of me. Good. The books you're mentioning,
1: I do have one of them, but the other one, a mutual friend of ours, lent me, and I've given it back to him. Indeed, and all the Her, all the Herodotus books I've given back to the library. So I'm sitting here with just you know just Orwell, really. Yeah. Um. But I've got this one. Relato de un naufrago by uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Now I did a tour a, of the world it's,
2: here, PJ. It's hell of a tale of a of a ship cast, right? Uh, yeah, indeed. Not just right that, but we sir. we are holding the same edition. We we're holding 100. the
1: exact same edition on the on the camp We've got a mirrored uh, webcams now. Exactly. But I should just mention quickly because we, we we're about to go to to South America for this one. The next one is going to take us to Japan. We've been in England. We've been in, in ancient Greece. This is like an episode of feel-good hit of the summer, man. Oh, we're we're that's, going uh, all around,
2: you
0: know?
2: That's another one for the vote right there. <laughs> Check it out, guys.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.